Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik, and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Curtis May. Hi, Curtis. Hey, Mike. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm well. Thank you very much for uh, coming as a guest. So Curtis is a creator and an owner of the Practical Wealth Advisors and also host of the Practical Wealth Show podcast. Uh, he's a family man, uh, has an awesome wife, uh, three girls. Without further ado, won't you just tell us a little bit about your family first, and then a little bit about you. You do financial planning. You have some really interesting, uh, great ideas. But uh, if you would be so kind, uh, tell us a little bit about you and your family. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm uh, married for, to my wife, Erica, 23 years. She's uh, we're both self-employed. She's an attorney. And uh, so we, we uh, uh, you know, uh, family law, estate administration, real estate, immigration. And uh, so we sh- we've shared office for 21 years. <laughs> and uh, so I'm working from home today, but we, we, we've been like literally in the same office uh, with each other, like we're almost we with each other, like six, seven days a week. So people are like, how do you do that? I don't you, must like, you must like each other for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so we like, we have, uh, like there's so much, we have three daughters. I have two in college and one is a, a fifth grader. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, I've, I've been in my field. I actually got my insurance license in college. Uh, I realized the NBA was not looking for five eleven shooting guards. And, uh, so that was not going to be a thing. And uh, I, I was blessed because my family had always been self-employed. So contrary to what most people get, I never got that go to school, get your education, get a good job talk. You know, my dad told me you'll never make any money work for somebody else. We were in the supermarket business. His father was in business. So I thought you actually majored in business to go into business. And somebody showed me an opportunity. Oh, Curtis, you got to get your license. So during basketball season, I got my insurance license and uh, I was in North Carolina, Joe to Charlotte, took a test. And then a couple of years later, I got my investment licenses. I subsequently let those go in the early 2000s. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, hmm, you know what I'm teaching is different than what wealthy people do. And I started to go down that rabbit hole and it, it kind of really changed my philosophy about money. But I, I've always been very educational and, um, you know, I wanted to do something that I could, that I enjoyed, that wasn't work. And as I got into this, the more I knew and I, I found uh, part of my unique ability uh, was teaching. I could read stuff. I could send me a lot of information really fast and I could draw it to you on a yellow pad, you on a whiteboard. And uh, so I've decided, I, you know, I, I really fell into learning how to, you know, become a financial educator is really what I think I am, because I believe that what you know today will determine where you'll be at five to 10 years from now. So, you know, as edu- root word of educate is a do say, which means to draw out. So I don't tell people what to do. I show them how the game works and then we figure out what's the best way to get you from point A to point B. Thanks for the great introduction. Um, so uh, I guess you you had a career in college playing basketball. We, we, we're not going to spend much time, but it sounds like you had a choice 
trying to go for NBA or um I didn't really have that choice. I just woke up to the fact that that was not going to be a choice. <laughs> yeah, it's very <laughs> tough. That that that, that is a I just I found it early. A lot of people player. still living at 27. They're still living that dream, you know, being a gym rat. I was like, nope, this is not going to be a thing. Is now it's just summer leagues and pickup ball. <laughs> so Yeah, that's unfortunately there are a number of great college players, but uh, I don't know how many of them make it to NBA. It's a pretty small ratio, unfortunately. So I remember this commercial on uh, during the NCAA's. It was like ninety eight percent of most college athletes go pro in something else. You're like you're in pro because you're gonna get a job or something, but you're not going to go pro in your sport. <laughs> so that's right. Unfortunately, that's how the world works. The yes. sort of. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about financial planning. So. You have principle-based planning. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what are the five principles of your of personal finance that you teach as part of your program? Yeah. So what I'm kind of like the anti-Wall Street financial advisor. <laughs> okay. So I, mean, I have a good friend who, is exa- who says exactly that. Oh, really? It, it's almost hilarious, but he's an anti-Wall Street financial advisor or planner. Or yeah. Well, you know, because what happens is financial planning is not investing. This is what, what, what uh, you know, it kind of got taken over. So good financial planning is really five parts, helping families, average families, middle income families, not rich people, spend, save, invest, insure, and plan for financial independence. Okay. That's what financial planning, when, when Lauren Dutton coined the term in 1969, 70, that was what it was supposed to be. Now it's all about wealth management and investing. Right. And I, what people are doing, I don't even really call investing, but the here's the thing. So principles are things that you follow that, you know, are unchanging so that you don't have to make, you know, new decisions. This is a your philosophy of how money works in your life. OK. And not even your philosophy, like if you ever read or if your listeners have read The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson, well, the second chapter is the seven cures for a lean purse. Part of all your earnings yours to keep, budget thy expenses, make thy gold multiply, make of your home a profitable investment, guard your treasure from loss, ensure future income, increase thy ability to earn. So those are principles. They have nothing to do with products, but it's a philosophy. So what we've done is kind of uh, adopted. Uh, so my partner, Kyle Christian has a great book out called Principle-Based Planning. And so we walk people through getting them to Okay, here are principles that help people become and remain financially free. Okay. And so the principle one is save. Okay. Save 15% or more of your gross income. So now when I say save, I don't mean, okay, Curtis, I'm putting 12% in my 401k. That's not saving. Okay. Savings, safe, liquid, accessible, guaranteed. That's saving. Okay. Right. And so you, you have to start with that. The second principle, I'm going to go through them fast and we can dig into them later if you want. The second principle is maximum protection. So I call that playing defense. So while you're building your empire and your listeners are building your investments, people skip the step where you have to protect the kingdom. Right. And so what could happen? You could die prematurely. You could get sick. You get laid off. You could get sued. You could be in an accident. You could have a fire. And so maximum protection is, you know, like insurance, for example, homeowners insurance or, or, or insurance is to indemnify. You mean, so if you have a loss, it's supposed to make you whole. It's not going to make you rich, but it should bring you back to where you were 
before the law. So when we look at maximum protection, we just look at all of your protection vehicles across the board to make sure that you're playing defense. That's the that's the principle of maximum protection. Okay. The third principle is full replacement of assets at death. Okay. And so that is really to go against the idea of self-insurance. Oh, let's just buy term investor difference. And we have all this money. You can drop the insurance. That is, I'm trying to say this without curse. It's that's (laughs) moronic advice. I mean, you know, if you paid your house off, would you drop your home? If you paid your mortgage off, who in their right mind would drop their homeowner's insurance? That makes no sense. Right. And so, but people think that way with life insurance, but life insurance is property insurance. Okay. And so what it does is if you have life insurance, uh, permanent life insurance, then what it does is if either one of you or a spouse would pass away, that makes sure there's a tax-free fill up of your money bucket. Right. So it gives you permission to use your money. So we call full replacement of assets at death. And that's going against what I call the myth of self-insurance. Okay, so that's a principle. I want you to leave a legacy of wealth and wisdom to go along with the wealth. Third, fourth is liquidity. The number one problem I see, Mike, is the lack of capital on the individual level because people don't save. And I don't mean access to capital because see, people, I was at a, a real estate conference I was speaking at last weekend, and it was like, here's how you get private credit and how you can access money. That's access to capital. A lot of people don't have that. But I mean capital. See, if you have money, opportunities will find you. You don't have to go looking. And so our goal for that is six to 12 months of liquidity, of cash type equivalents, because, you know, COVID happens, stuff happens, life happens, illness happens, and you need or or because the first like three months, maybe six months, depending on the business is what I call your emergency fund. Everything above that's your opportunity fund, where you should be like a little hedge fund looking for ways to deploy your capital. That's what in the Richest Man in Babylon make you go multiply. That's what that means. And then the fifth is the, the velocity method. Okay. And so in uh, personal finance, so what, what is taught for the most part is what we call in our process, the accumulation theory, buy and hold, dollar cost average, get out of debt. Rule of 72, modern portfolio theory, buy term investor difference. And you one of the things you have to do is you've got to decide what you want to be when you grow up. You want to be rich, poor, and middle class. Okay. And so the Daves, the Susies, they're great, but that you won't get you to financial freedom, definitely not 10 years or less, which is our goal, which is passive income greater than expenses, because it's all about give your money away, let the fund manager manage it and hope that they're really smart. So you have this big pile of money so you can live off for 30 years. So, but that's not what institutions do. Okay. If you took a corporate finance course, they don't teach any of that stuff I just named. They teach velocity of money, right? Which if you're in real estate, that's the Burr method. If you're, I was just watching some video this morning with uh, Kev, uh, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. And he says, listen, if I put my money into a deal, what does he want to know? How soon do I get my money back? Now, and so does that, and that deal is still throwing off cash flow and equity, but he takes that money and puts it into another deal and gets that back. That's velocity, okay? A lot of times the institutions teach you to buy and hold, but that's not how they make their money. They focus on velocity. They focus on cash flow. They focus on leverage. If they had a million dollars in cash and a million dollars in debt, they're not debt-free. They would consider that a balance seat neutral decision. They're not trying to get out of debt. 
they would lever up, pay the monthly payments and go make that money, make more money. Okay. And then they buy permanent uh, guaranteed products. Let's just say, you know, so banks, uh, for example, we, we like permanent insurance banks buy bank of America has billions of dollars of permanent insurance that makes up their tier one capital where they store their cash that they don't loan out, that they can't lose money. And as much as the regulators will allow them to have is, is what they have. There's a great book called The uh, Pirates of the Manhattan by Barry Dyke. And he breaks down, he did the research of looking at these people's balance sheets and seeing what type of, what they actually own in their balance. Sheet. I had them on a show a couple months, uh, about a month, about a couple months ago now. And we broke it down. It was fascinating for, especially like for a money nerd like me. <laughs> okay. And so that's principle five. So it's focused on, when we say velocity, what you're focused on is cash flow. I want people focused on cash assets that produce cash flow. Okay. And then focusing on if you have a business, growing your business revenue. And, you know, that's which, so we don't, net worth is not a, a, a metric. I mean, we look at it, but that's not the primary metric. The metric is, you know, are your assets generating cash flow? And if you can generate more cash flow than your expenses, you're financially free. You're not rich. But you can maintain your standard of living from your personally managed assets without a job, which is the goal, which is the goal of the five principles, financial freedom. That's a mouthful, but. That's, yeah, that's, that's uh, well, it's, it's great. A lot of phenomenal concepts. Um, I love the idea of the velocity of money. I think that's probably one of the most powerful ideas you could have, uh, certainly in real estate. <laughs> but, let, but hear me, though, that's last. Right. So most investors skip that. They want to go right to the money and they leave themselves exposed. And that's the uh, uh, what I said. Look, you got to slow down and you got to build a fortress around your kingdom so that you make you if stuff happens, you don't go backwards. And what I find is that because like print maximum protection, it's not sexy. And they most people suffer from, well, you know, the cost is going to mess up my returns. It. they don't know it exists or it'll never happen to me. Well, insurance is, is fundamental to a lot of um, investing. And I, I, I happen to agree that having uh, insurance safety, you know, personal insurance, having you know an umbrella policy, yes. uh, primary umbrella policy, yep. whole yep. life, essentially, which basically creates, as you said, death benefit. And it also gives access to cash, which turns right. to be sort of equivalent of infinite banking. And then, yeah, it, those products um, create some degree of uh, safety, like you, like you said, it's a foundation. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the real acceleration happens uh, from the velocity of money, or depending on what stage you're in. I mean, yeah. it really depends. Because see, products you, don't win for you, right? It's it's you learning how to be a good because in, investing is not about buying something; it's about becoming something, right? And so you've got to learn. What asset class do I like? Do I like business? Do I like real estate? Do I like paper assets? And then you've got to kind of pick your lane because you're going to make yourself rich. There's no financial product that's going to take you to glory financially. Right. So what you're advocating is sort of, I have another friend who wrote a book, um, be the CEO of your own money. You know, if, you, if you don't take oh, I love charge. That. I have to yeah. find that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really cool. He's actually a financial planner and registered investment advisor now. Mm-hmm. But the concept makes total total sense that um, you, you have to you have to own your own investing. If you abdicate uh, your investing to uh, Wall Street or even 
even the main street, but you have no decision power, you're not in any kind of control, then you just go with the flow and that will take you where the wind will blow. So if you catch the right wave, you'll do well. Um, but in general, uh, having a plan is the foundation and everything you said makes total sense. And I'm going back to the velocity of money because uh, I, I do like the term and quite often used in real estate, you deploy the capital and you're really looking for two answers. Uh, is this a, when, when is the refi going to happen? When am I going to get the capital back? Yep. If it's not a refi, sale is generally welcome too. So in some ways, uh, if you're solving, you're maximizing kind of your own returns on investments, you want the velocity of money. Plenty of people uh, have that need. And then there are other folks who have accumulated substantial wealth. At that point, the reason people worry about um, a long-term investment more than the short-term is because they got to deploy a lot of capital and they want to make sure the capital is working for long enough. The converse or the, the, the drawback of velocity of money, you get the money back, you got to redeploy. Yeah, Time, exactly. if you can't put it on a great new deal or set of deals, you have the reverse problem. You got idle cash, which creates a yield drag. But overall, if you are active and you have great deal flow, you want the velocity of money because it accelerates your returns. It, 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 and, it, and then you can, you know, like, let's say you don't want to, let's say you're, you already have a lot of money or you make a lot of money from your business or from your profession, then you can use, you know, third party to manage that money. Like I am lazy. <laughs> You know, ambitiously lazy. So I, my unique abilities in in dealing with clients, growing my businesses, and I uh, would rather find somebody that, all right, here, you know, you can give me, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I guess I'm a, a credit investor. And I was like, all right, here, here's X that I don't want to just leave it idle and it can make more money than the 4% inside my policies. Here's let let me. You know, I'll take a loan and let's put it over here so I can get cash flow or growth on that. And so it's a mixture. So it's, everybody's different. So there's no like one size fits all. It really depends on your goals and your 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 situation. So, you know, a good financial person is part of your team, but you need to run it. You know, you're I always say you're the CEO of your life. And so it's your job to to manage your growth, to manage your income statement, to manage your balance sheet. And then, but investing is a team sport. So you need whatever asset class you like, you need the, the you know, a good banker, a good, you know, your attorney, your, you know, depending on a, a mentor uh, uh, to kind of round out your team so that you know what you're doing, but you have to lead your wealth. That's, that's the main thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. So let's just talk about a couple of other great subjects that you've um, uh, sort of, uh, you, you, you've become an expert in. So what are the four components of an ideal financial plan? Well, what, 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 yeah, what you, so what are you that's part of this. So the four, so what you want to do is the plan is, should work no matter what. Okay, so the first objective of the ideal plan is, is you want to build maximum wealth. Okay, that's component number one. Two, I want you, I tell people, look, I want you to live your legacy while you're leaving it, I want you to enjoy your money. So you want to be able to enjoy and utilize all of the wealth created now while you're living. You know, I heard uh, Dan Sullivan say, uh, especially this is really more so for entrepreneurs. You won't double your income until you double your time off. 
And you know what I mean? Because you have to, who, if you're the running the whole thing, you have to give yourself break just so you give space so that you're, you can let your imagination, because that's what makes money, your ability to solve problems. And so you've got to be able to enjoy it. Uh, the third component is that you have to transfer the wealth to your family and charity. So you want to leave a legacy and you want to make sure that that, not just the money, but also like if you have kids, do they know how the money was built in the family? You know, the human capital or what charities are important to you. So you want to be able to transfer that. And then the fourth thing is, and this, this kind of leads into the five principles you already talked about, is the plan must work under all circumstances, okay? And so what rain or shine, you still supposed to win, okay? You can't have a plan that only works when the sun is out. And I'll just hit one little detail with uh, uh, maximum wealth. So, because most people think the key to growing their wealth is finding better investments that pay a higher rate of return, okay? I take kind of the opposite tack to that. I, the, if you want to create maximum wealth, you have to create maximum efficiency first. So the first thing we do at work with people is we look at the efficiency of money. How can we find money that you're losing unknowingly and unnecessarily? So it's like trying to fill up a bucket, but the bucket has holes in it. And you're trying to turn up the volume of the water, find better investments, get a higher rate of return, but your money is leaking out of the bucket at the bottom. Okay. And so there's five areas that we focus on helping and that, that I would have you guys focus on, on creating maximum efficiency. One, most wealth is lost by how people manage cash flow. Okay. And, or don't manage cash flow. Right. And so they're budgeting, for example, budgeting. Well, Garrett Gunderson has a great book called Budgeting Sucks. And, um, and I also love uh, Mike McCallowitz's book, Profit First. So we, have a, we teach a kind of a hybrid of those two things. But the deal is that we say, tell your money where to go instead of asking where it went. So I like the idea of forecasting so that you're telling when the money hits your account, you already have, you know, three different buckets that we teach to, you know, you got a wealth capture account, you've got fixed bills, you've got variable bills, and you don't need to micromanage I got 8% for lunch, and you know, because nobody's going to do that long range. But if you say, okay, look, money comes in, I'm going to put X amount in this account, 15% of my gross, I'm going to put in savings, I'm going to put, uh, here's what my life costs, and then here's my variable spending, and then you just adjust it. So that's efficiency, just not, not like having money leak through. And then the top five are, and we'll do this real fast, is one, how people pay their mortgages. Uh, two, these are what I call wealth transfers. Uh, um, taxes, you know, what can you do to minimize current and future taxation? Uh, three is how people, if they're still working or even business owners, because they let what I call accumulation theorists get in their head, um, how they fund qualified plans. Okay. Uh, three is how they pay for uh, like educational expenses, like funding 529 plans and that kind of stuff, which we're not a huge fan of. Uh, and four is, or five, I'm sorry, is how you pay for major capital purchases or you know big ticket items, which we define as anything you can't pay for in full within monthly cash flow. So this is where some of this stuff is where the infinite banking you mentioned comes in with helping with efficiency. Uh, but that's, those are things. So what you want to do is you want to, you want to keep more of the money that you make. And so if you do that, 
your net worth, your efficiency, your and your your wealth will increase by degree if you just do what you're doing because you won't give any money away or, or give much money away. And so I think that the first step is to really focus on that. So those are the components. Enjoy your money, get maximum wealth, and you do that by maximum efficiency. And then uh, you know, that's 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 kind of my that's my short long answer. <laughs> yeah, a lot of wisdom in that. Everything, you know, a lot of things you said are really fascinating. And uh, I, I certainly agree about on many points in, and just, just to stress, I, I, you know, in real estate, especially, uh, and this is where I play, uh, tax efficient growth is critical. I mean, that's the reason people invest in real estate. You can build wealth, uh, over time without heavy taxation, which makes a lot of sense. It's one of the most tax advantage asset classes mm-hmm. and our strategies within strategies. Um, obviously, uh, profit first makes total sense. Uh, you, allocate your plan where the money is going to go before the money comes in so that when the money comes in you don't go on a wild spending spree and and don't have a good plan what to do with it so all these are absolutely awesome principles um so let's continue the discussion and they're fundamental of- like there's nothing hard we just said there right and so my clients are small business owners and real estate investors so that's why it makes sense to you because that's who i that's who i talk to that's that's good I'm yeah glad. it's a great audience awesome yeah. principles uh makes absolute sense and uh i think uh, a lot of people you, you got kind of interesting one is you got the theory and then you get practical implications and the hard part is quite often um, I'm sure you, you see this as an educator. Uh, people come to you and then you give them a good theory and somehow the bucket is still leaky. Right. And, right. Uh, it, see, it, but it, I, I don't deal in theory. We do this. Like I do this. All the stuff I talked about, I do. And I work with clients every day. Okay. And so we don't do theory. What is it that saying? It's a saying that the mess, the cleanliness of theory is no match for the mess that is reality <laughs> so you know <laughs> that, that's an interesting statement that is some, some philosopher wrote it but yeah, yeah if, you, if you are a practitioner and you actually drive the implementation with your clients that's that's probably that's what i do i mean this is my day job is not being a podcaster i mean you know so this is what we do but it's it, it's the education because we believe that you are your best financial advisor. Two plus two is four, right? It's not that complicated. It's not, you know, but most of the financial world basically says in so many words, you don't have the time, the temperament or the training for this. Give your money to us. And I don't, I don't think that's true. Well, that's the Wall Street theory, right? The Wall Street, yes. the Wall Street theory. And then I'm going to lead you to the next question. Which yeah, please. Is, what are the four rules of traditional banks and Wall Street and why they don't, uh, they basically work against you. Now we're going well, to the Wall Street, essentially, why what they yeah. teach works against you. Well, think about this. So if you were here, are the four rules that govern all financial institution advice. OK, all their products are designed with these four rules in mind. So, guys, I want you to listen to this. Ask yourself if you were, let's say, Mike, a financial institution and you you're trying to uh, uh, sell me on putting money in your institution. Uh, but what are the four things that you want to have happen? You want my money. Okay, so and then how often do you want it? Every payday, right? Yeah, as often how long as do you want me to keep it there? As long as possible.